I invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to join me in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start there today and look at those first 20 verses as we continue in our Advent series. Uh, last week, we began at the beginning with the preexistent Jesus in the glory of the heavens. And today, we continue with the humility of the incarnation. Luke chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Corvinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up to the, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorying and praising God for all the things they had seen, and, which were just as they had been told. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our chance to be together in worship today. We give you thanks once again for this beautiful season and the chance that we have to prepare our hearts as we make our way toward Christmas. We thank you for familiar texts, texts that we have read for decades and for memories we have of the story and its impact in the world and its impact on each of our lives. I pray that in these next few minutes, as we engage this very familiar text, in a special way, you would give each of us eyes to see just what you want us to see today. I pray you'd give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal. And I pray you'd give us conviction that's strong so we can apply what we see and understand to the way we live every day. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Familiar texts, right? The Christmas texts. The ones that we come to every single year as we celebrate Jesus' arrival and make our way through the Advent season. But one of the interesting parts about some of these texts is there are details in this story that we long to know that the scripture doesn't give us. Doesn't give us all of the details that we long for. Our Christmas carols sometimes fill in the blanks, and we've talked about that before. A lot of the Christmas carols are making things up, enhancing the story a little bit. I don't think in a deceptive way, but we, we integrate a lot of that information sometimes into the scriptural story. <clears throat> 
even though there aren't as many details as we think there are. However, there are quite a few details offered here in Luke's account that help us to know some of what took place at this very first arrival of Jesus. For instance, we know that Joseph and Mary came for the census. That's why they were in Bethlehem. There was a census that took place every 14 years, and you had to go to your hometown in order to be counted. Joseph was from the line of David, and so they went to the city of David. They went to Bethlehem in order to be counted properly. We also know that they traveled some 80 miles to get there from Nazareth. That couldn't have been an easy journey, especially when Mary was pregnant. Some of our depictions show them, you know, just a donkey and Mary and Joseph all on their own on the way out there. It's likely they actually had other people with them from Nazareth, that they were in a group together, but still 80 miles they traveled to get to the space where they could be counted. We know that there was no place for them to stay. How do we usually say that? No place in the inn, right? Probably was no inn in Bethlehem. It was a very small village, and that was a poor translation from the start. I love that our newer Bibles have updated this to say that there was no guest room. No guest room, because Luke actually uses a very particular word that means guest room. It doesn't mean inn or hotel, but guest room. Most families in this time, in a place like Bethlehem, would have a two-bedroom home. They'd have a primary bedroom in that home, they'd have a guest room in that home, and then they'd have a living space, and a, about a half a level below the living space was an area where they could bring their animals in at night. That's where the manger would be, is right on the edge of that raised floor, so they could feed the animals from up in that living space, and that's where we get this imagery of the stable itself. It's likely that Mary and Joseph did stay with relatives when they got to Bethlehem, but because the guest room was taken, they stayed in that living space right near the animals where the manger was there for Jesus. We know that Jesus was born during their stay, and I think sometimes we picture that he was born the moment they arrived, you know, in the middle of the night, like our Christmas cards show us, but it doesn't really say exactly when he was born, just at some point during the time they were there. Maybe after they were counted, Mary didn't feel like she had 80 miles in her to head back to Nazareth right away, and so they stayed with those relatives long enough that the baby was finally born at some point during their stay. And finally, we know that Jesus was placed in a manger in a feeding trough the God of the universe in this makeshift crib. So what's the purpose for the details we do have? Why is it that some things are left out, but then we're given another set of details? Well, first of all, it just tells the story well. It helps us to put ourselves in that place. It helps us to understand exactly how this all worked. But I think we're also given these details so we can see three things about Jesus's arrival. First of all, that the timing was right for Jesus's arrival. The time was right. Galatians 4.4 says, when the set time had fully come, Jesus entered into history. And history really is centered on Jesus' entry into this world. Secondly, the details help us to see that the place was right. The place was right. Micah 5.1 and 2 says that the Savior, when he comes, will be born in Bethlehem. Thirdly, we're given these details because they show us that the way was right. The way was right. Isaiah 7, 14 said that the baby would be born of a virgin. And here we have a brave young teenager named Mary who fulfills that role. It's easy to marvel at the complexity of God's incarnation. And so let's dig just a little bit deeper this morning, starting with the question, what did the incarnation require of Jesus? Ponder that just for a moment. 
What did the incarnation require of Jesus? We talked last week about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world creating all that is, that Jesus' story began there. But at some point in history, it was time. It was time for Jesus to make this journey to earth, to become the created, to become a human being, to become one of us. But what did the incarnation require of Jesus? It eventually required his death on a cross, but what else? What did Jesus set aside to join us? Let's take a look at Philippians for a moment, if you have your Bible. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. It's a description of Jesus and his incarnation, of all that he gave up in order to come and to be one of us. There was a, a self-limiting that was a part of that incarnation, a willingness to do just that. Yesterday evening, I had a fun experience I got to take Robin Watson, our preschool director's son, on a mountain bike ride. He got a new bike. He's been wanting to hit the trails. He's been a little bit nervous about it. And so Robin texted me and said, would you be willing to take Drew on a short mountain bike ride by your house? And I said, absolutely. I would love to do that. Because, you know, I'm not just a Christian evangelist. I'm also a cycling evangelist, you know? Anytime someone wants to ride a bike, I'll ride a bike with you, okay? So she brought Drew's bike over. We got it tuned up a little bit. We headed just up the street to some trails. And then what I did was I just dusted him. I rode as fast as I could. I left him in the dust. I didn't ride with him at all. I showed off all my skills. Of course I didn't do that. When you ride with someone like Drew and he's learning how to do this, we rode at Drew's pace. And we talked about all the things we were seeing and experiencing. And we gave some tips and tricks about certain corners and hills. Because the point wasn't to show off all of my abilities. The point was to dial myself back to the point that we could share that time together. That we could enjoy one another. And then he goes on to become a lifelong mountain biker. That was the goal of the evening. And I think we might have accomplished it. In some ways, whenever we limit ourselves like that, if it's with someone who's younger or someone who's weaker than us, we get a small, small sense of what Jesus did when he chose to descend from his glory into this world, into this life, and to become human himself. Paul says, who being in very nature God, speaking of Jesus, and that's what we discussed last week, John's thesis of his gospel was that Jesus Christ is God. But then he goes on to say, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or in other translations, something to be grasped or held on to. The Greek word that's used there is only used there in the Bible and rarely even used in secular uh, texts. Advantage is actually a really good translation. He didn't see his equality, his power, his glory as something to cling to or hold on to, but rather he saw it as something for our advantage in that salvation plan. Jesus could have stayed. He could have continued to enjoy equality with God the Father and God the Spirit in glory, but he didn't. Rather, we're told he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. 
by comparison, our humanity is nothing compared to the glory of God. Another translation says that Jesus emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his divinity, but instead of his glory, of his rank, of his privilege, of his power. And he took on instead the nature of a servant. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a ruler. He came as a servant. He was deprived of basic human, basic human rights, of divine rights, made in our humanity and human likeness. He didn't subtract his deity, but he added his humanity, and the creator now became the created. I love the way the message says this. It says, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave becoming human. Or the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The humility of the incarnation has revealed the heart of God to all of humanity. God didn't call us home. God came to get us. Jesus was willing to give up everything for us. And maybe as part of our Advent practices, the question that we consider this week in response to that humiliation and everything that he gave up is, what is it that we will surrender for him in response? There's power in the Advent. There's power in the Incarnation. And there's a beautiful example in Jesus of all that he left behind that he might make you and me a part of his family, that he might make us his children. And so as we live in response, not just in the Advent season, but all our lives through, may we also be willing to set aside power, to set aside glory, to set aside strength, to surrender whatever is required, that we might draw closer to our God and bring others with us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed to think of all that you left behind to come for us. We are overwhelmed to even imagine how that works, when the decision was made, how the timing was right. <clears throat> but you knew when it was time, and you came and entered into history. You did it in such unique fashion, fulfilling prophecy in all the right ways that you might bring salvation to the world. We are also thankful for what took place all of those years ago. And in this season, we pause in the hecticness of our world to truly reflect on the power that decision has provided. We pray, God, that we would be not only thankful for what you've done entering into this world, but we would be inspired to continue living after you, following after you, surrendering our own rights, privileges, and power in the same way that you have for us. Thank you for what you've done. We long for your return. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.